Live from Guttercat Studios in the Metaverse, it's time for another episode of the Crazy About Crypto Show. And now here's your host, Crazy Carl. Oh, wow. We have a legend in the house. It's so good to see everyone flowing into the space. And if you're listening to the podcast, hello from all around the world and welcome to the Crazy About Crypto Show, an interactive live podcast on Twitter Spaces for anyone exploring crypto and wanting to learn from others that have already dived into the space. From NFT artists to savvy crypto investors to everyday people just like you and I, this is a place where we can come together and learn about this new wave of innovation. Today's guest has 1.2 million followers on Twitter through his parody account, Bored Elon. The content of the account, however, is much deeper than just humor. As a deep thinker, Bored Elon has continually pushed the narrative of what is possible in the world and has a proven track record of investing in disruptive technology that can change the world as we know it for the better. It's my absolute pleasure today to share the stage with Bored Elon. What's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me. I, I love your intro. I was expecting it to be uh, to include like a sponsorship by uh, some consumer packaged goods company like Dishwashing. So. Yeah, no, definitely not. And that's something that actually in um, as the show progresses, I've told the community because you understand the power of like Web3 and the community that we're building just like this is this we have the potential to change the way that shows are done and um, being able to give back to the people that really support and not use them as a product and just throw you know useless advertisements as them so I have a, a very strong passion of not doing uh, advertisements like that so um, I appreciate well, you uh, noticing that though because it's a big deal to me all right. Well, I'll I'll do my best not to show anything today. <laughs> well, you are a guest on the show, and I'm actually probably going to shill a few things that you've invested in because I uh, I'm a passionate about a couple of them. But to start the show, I would love for you just to take a minute or two to tell us a little bit about your start into crypto uh, and NFTs in, in in general. Sure. Yeah, I think I think the common refrain you hear from a lot of people is I started investing in crypto in 2017. So <laughs> similar path. Um, the account's been around since uh, 2013. Started it. Uh, so that's uh, eight years ago now. Um, after Real Elon uh, put out the idea for the Hyperloop underground high speed train. Mm. And so the first half of, of the lifespan of, of Ford Elon was really just, you know, like you said, comedy inventions, that sort of thing. Um, Crypto, especially in the in the last 12 months, really enabled me to to do more. And especially with NFTs, um, it, it gave me an opportunity to kind of flex my creativity and my skills that weren't technical. So just like you, I wasn't a, a developer. So participating in crypto, you know, in 2017 and before that was really just buying and selling. And uh, much like many people, uh, I was in early. You know, I bought my first Bitcoin at $13, but I, uh, I sold it at 100, right? Because yeah. I figured, wow, basically a 10x, this is great. It's never going to go up higher. Um, and that's a common story <laughs> yeah. we bought, you know, along the way. But um, yeah, so buying and selling was really it. But um, the last 12 months have really been extraordinary in terms of what has transpired in, in the world of, of NFTs. And because my, my skills really revolve around sort of, you know, writing and creativity and content, um, that was able to flourish and... Uh, my background is is uh, heavily sort of interacting with games, so mm. I'm really excited about what's happening with blockchain 
and video games. And I think that's that's an area where I'm investing a lot of my money, my time, um, and my my leisure as well. Right on. We talk a lot on the show. It sounds like you are similar to me. Like I knew about crypto early on, and in 2017 and 18, when a lot of people thought you know we were in a bubble, that's really when I realized that it was this wasn't going away. You know, at the time, it was such a small pocket of uh, investors and money that it was really hard to imagine. And it was it was difficult, too, if you're not a techie, to understand, you know, even setting up a Bitcoin wallet that's not on a centralized exchange. And so that was kind of when I all of a sudden had like that aha moment that was like this this is not ever going away. And I knew that we were probably going to ride down again uh, because we the, the rise was so steep and it was so fast. But I started going all in and just basically anytime I had um, disposable assets, I would put it back into the, the crypto economy. And, and so I'm curious kind of what made that conviction moment happen for you around the same time, if it was similar, or uh, what made you just really believe in in this being something that would be widely adopted one day? Yeah, for me, it was not so much the uh, the investment opportunities and, and sort of the uh, pressions that, that the value of crypto would go up. Um, it was really rooted in frustration around just how hard it was to to move money around. Mm. I remember one instance where I needed to move, um, I needed to get paid from a Chase bank account uh, out of Canada. I had done some work out there, and they needed to to issue a payment to Chase Bank in the United States. There was a forty dollar charge for that for that transaction to happen because it was an international fee, even though this was literally the same exact bank. Mm. Um, and I started to dig into that and realized that moving money from person to person, especially across borders, is both expensive, slow, um, and and um, you know for people who are who are not as economically um, well off, um, quite quite a, uh, abusive, I guess is the word I would use. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and you know, you have things like uh, you know Western Union and other sort of uh, businesses that sort of prey on individuals, especially who who are lower income. So that that just irritated me quite a bit, and I really started to dive into what are the technologies that could help people move money uh, more easily and for a low cost. And you know, of course, there were things like PayPal and Venmo and whatnot, and that's that sort of served as a as a nice um, you know intermediary uh, between individuals. But nonetheless, international transfers are, are still expensive and, and difficult. So um, you know, once I got into crypto, I realized, wow, this. This is a great solution and a long-term solution to a lot of problems in the financial system um, that takes kind of the middlemen out of the equation. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the key to people preserving their money. And then after all that, I realized, oh, by the way, this is going to be super valuable and be a great investment too. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of the aftermath of, of me getting into it for the uh, the technology. Well, I love uh, that you mention basically the the belief in the power of a borderless economy and preventing kind of the gatekeeping that's occurred over hundreds of years of people in power trying to make sure they get more and more cut of people's of the wealth. And so um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about just just as we've continued to see just from like 2017, even till today, how you see like this borderless economy continuing to evolve, because it truly has if you've been around for a few years, you kind of see how this is expanding. And I'd love for you to kind of talk on the power of that uh, in terms of where things go in a few years from now. 
Yeah, I think, you know, the the borderless economies that have been created through crypto in in tandem with what has happened, you know, during the pandemic with remote work is basically leading to a pretty big transformation in the workforce and how people work in general, right? So the traditional model is um, you live in a certain city, you go to work for a certain employer that's in a physical building, uh, you spend you know 30 minutes to an hour commuting back and forth each way. Um, that that doesn't need to be a thing now for a lot of people. Obviously, we still need in-person um, you know employment, right? For for the medical field, for tourism, for food, for a lot of other things. But I I'm pretty confident that half the workforce, at least at this point, can work from anywhere uh, asynchronously from any country. And so that that means a lot of things. Um, if you are a startup. That means you can hire people from all over the world uh, and have people working 24 hours a day. Um, you can afford talent that's really good and probably lower cost. Um, that might not be good for an American worker who is competing now with somebody who is charging 25% the rate. But again, if you're a startup and you're building something and you need to maximize your output, um, this is a great opportunity. The other thing is um, you don't have to rely on one source of income. Right. That's that's the majority. That's the story for the majority of individuals. They work for one employer. And if they, for whatever reason, lose that job, they're in a really tough position. And one of the best pieces of, of advice I've ever gotten was don't let any one person or entity make or break you. So with things like, uh, you know, Web3, like DAOs and sort of the, the world of Web3, people can contribute in many ways to many projects, make income in a variety uh, of ways um, and, you know, just maintain their financial freedom and safety. So um, there's lots and lots of implications of kind of this borderless economy. But those are just a few, you know, thought starters. Yeah, I mean, you truly kind of got my uh, wheels turning while you were talking, because I was just thinking about how um, it's almost like the last 10 to 15 years is is been uh, like the building of the infrastructure, you know, building of like the expansion of the the internet age um, and the easy access to mobile devices in a world where so little people have even access to banking, but many more have access to a, a of a cellular device. It seems like the that the infrastructure is finally being built to be able to move, uh, you know, move things forward in a way that people anywhere in the world it doesn't don't have to rely on the place that they're at that they can start you know they have the infrastructure finally to be able to access this global economy just from the the sitting at their desk in in their house or in their apartment or you know on their phone in a tent even yeah i i agree and i think that this model also is going to incentivize um, physical places like cities or states or countries even um, to work harder to to attract talent and attract um, citizens right because if you can basically work from anywhere um, if you have that luxury and you can more easily move them to any place in the world that will have you um, the city's got to give you another incentive <laughs> yeah. you know because the, the job market isn't hit anymore yeah. so I, I think in the long term this is actually going to put pressure um, on our, you know, various uh, leaders around around the world, to to incentivize people to to live there and pay taxes there versus you know uproot themselves and, and move to another place. Well, this is this is the perfect segue into something I wanted to chat with you about because I. Um... 
I'm a big I'm a big listener of uh, Anthony Pompliano in the Pomp uh, podcast, a big Bitcoin advocate. But he he's had he had the mayor of Miami on his show just like yesterday, I believe. And um, you see like these cities, the Miami and Austin, really embracing um, these tech companies, especially when it's uh, revolved around crypto and, and being very friendly to it. And you see this like mass exodus from like New York City and California uh, and people moving to basically find a place where they, like you said, like they can be accepted more. Um, do you think that what, what what happens with people that maybe don't have the means to to move? Do you think that the, do you think the only way will be to move to a city, or is that just short term and longer term? Like it will, won't really matter where you live. Yeah, I mean, it might not matter. I think the the model or the the conventional way of thinking about this is you will get the benefits um, of the city that, that you currently physically live in. But if you um, want to sort of in a digital sense, support a city from afar, like Miami or yeah. like Austin, mm-hmm. you, you can do that, right? You can, you can work for companies that are based out of there, or you can actually uh, fund uh, projects for a city, even if you don't live in it. And maybe that gives you benefits, right? Maybe when you visit the city, that that gives you access to something. Uh, maybe it gives you some sort of financial benefits. Um, I don't actually know what that could look like, but I, I think that in terms of, you know, taking this idea of voting with your with your wallet, um, if people are able to um, move their money uh, towards uh, cities that are doing what they think is is best for you know them and and, and society, um, that that that's an interesting sort of approach to um you know this migration that we're seeing uh, in the united states and it doesn't just mean moving physically to a place it just means you know supporting a city or a jurisdiction with your dollars um, mm-hmm. and hopefully getting rewarded in return it's so interesting that you say that because it leads into an investment that you've uh, been a part of which is city coin and something that i don't think many people in the nft space maybe know about city coin but city coin is basically doing just that where you can support even if you don't live in miami but you believe in what miami's doing you can take a part of uh basically helping vote with uh, confidence or kind of you giving um voting with your money saying this is the kind of place that I support. So I'd love for you to kind of explain to the audience since you are an investor in it, just chat about like the power of uh, of the city coin. And I know Miami was the first one. And in the interview that I was listening to with the mayor, he said that they've already that the, the, the the treasury of the the coin even after just like a month after launching for the city has earned something like four and a half to six million dollars it's just insane yeah i think it's up to seven um so yeah just to provide a little bit of background um and and to be clear um you know it doesn't city City coin doesn't necessarily have any investors i i did invest in the coin itself and i and i've mined it but um that's that's sort of my the extent Mm -hmm. of my my connection to them yeah thanks for clarifying So I think a lot of people in the NFT space generally know about Ethereum-based, um, you know, layer two uh, solutions and things that kind of run on top of that network. So uh, CityCoin is built on top of something called Stacks, and Stacks is, in a way, if you're going to make a comparison, it's kind of like a layer two for Bitcoin. Um, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have the same abilities of Ethereum in terms of uh, contracts and and sort of the the, pro- the programmatic abilities of Ethereum. 
and I'm not technical. So if I'm butchering any of this, you know, people can call me out. That's fine. But um, essentially, Stacks is the the token that Citicoin is built off of. And Citicoin essentially is designed to be um, a coin that any city can can create and then distribute um, in a community uh, sense. It has to be mined from zero. Um, the cool thing, though, about Citicoin is that when it is mined, 30% of the proceeds uh, go to a wallet. And that wallet can then be claimed by the mayor of that city. So um, they decided as a community to launch in Miami just because there's been so much um, intensity of, of interest in, in uh, crypto in Miami. And, uh, you know, the wonderful thing was they, 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 they launched it there. They raised all this money via mining. Uh, and then Mayor Suarez decided that he and, and the, uh, you know, the other local leadership uh, in Miami would claim it. So they, they basically, you know, acknowledge the crypto community. They acknowledge that there was this free money that was generated from the work of others um, all over the world. Uh, and they're going to use that money then for, you know, for good causes, which includes actually crypto education uh, mm -hmm. in the city of Miami. And so you can see this then spilling over into Austin and Los Angeles and New York and cities all over the world. And um, it's it's truly like a more powerful way for people to vote. Um, people kind of say almost like in a in a negative connotation, like, oh, you know, your your dollars are more important than your vote. You only get one vote. And sometimes that is true, right? People with money do have more influence. And that unfortunately is often um, only a power given to the super wealthy. But in this case, I think, you know, it's it's an example that crypto can empower um, the everyday person to actually influence what their what their local leaders are doing. And so I think we're going to see a lot of examples of this. But Citicoin is one that I've been very impressed with and will continue to you know, to promote. It's such an interesting concept that what they've built uh, is so powerful because it empowers the community that's not just in Miami, but then it also empowers Miami to continue to innovate. And it seems like um, when you think about disruptive tech, that's what you need to be able to empower people that are that already have a stake in the game, that have leadership, that are in charge, to be able to see the power of what th could happen. I mean, Mayor Suarez in in the interview with Pump that I was listening to talked about in, in a world there could be, you know, if if the entire budget could be accumulated from you know the city coin. Uh, treasury, then they would they'd be able to cut taxes and create all these other kinds of incentives. And it's just such a fascinating thing to think when you embrace the technology instead of keep trying to push it away, that it can help these economies and in, in the world if you just open your mind to what's possible. Yeah, I, I think in a way it's a nice way to reset how government works. You know, at least in the United States, um, we we collect taxes. Those taxes are then used for all the various services we need. Um, that's important and, and it needs to continue. Um, the, the the key flaw, I think, and it's it's kind of a runaway train, is that um, we've continued to leverage debt as a country to finance all the things that we need. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, even today, um, there are discussions right now about raising the the national debt ceiling, right? And so that, that can only go so far. And so the problem there is, um, we're not using interest. We're not using yield to finance the things we need. We're spending money before we have it. Um, instead, what you know, I think crypto is going to enable is for us to generate wealth as a, as a country, as a state, or as cities 
um, based on money that is being you know borrowed from citizens and, and, and other you know organizations and then use that yield to fund the things we need so mayor suarez even pointed this out um if if city coin continues to to grow um in the city of miami there could be a scenario where they don't have to tax their citizens at all because they're getting enough revenue um from from the uh the 30% cut that is going that is coming from mining. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. And, and I just want to point out that a lot of people in crypto talk about, you know, wealth generation and maximizing return and turning into crypto millionaires. You know, that's all good. I'm happy for people. But with Citicoin, like people are actively making the decision to give up 30% of their potential profit because they're trying to show that this is a better long-term model um, for for how you know municipalities can basically help citizens and and fund infrastructure. So I, I truly hope that it sets a good example that other cities follow. Yeah, I love it. And and I mean, the other thing, the other aspect, we're seeing this on like, um, you, you know, in a local jurisdictional level, but it's it's just a matter of time before we continue to see. And they were trying to point to it on the show that I was listening to asking Suarez about his potential of running for the election and stuff. But it's just a matter of time before we start seeing more people embracing the tech and seeing people that um, see the potential of the innovation and and like you said like at the end of the day voting for the people that really can help change the world in a better way and and it can all come from like these movements these small movements that then trickle down or trickle you know across uh communities it, you don't even have to if you live in miami you're getting the benefit of all of these things and you don't even have to know about crypto and that's just so powerful yeah, agreed. And and I do think that, um, you know, thinking through kind of elections and politicians who are thinking about getting elected in the next um, decade, uh, I think the smart ones are going to um, try to work with the crypto community because I, I'm quite confident that some of the largest super PACs uh, in the future are going to be funded by wealthy crypto owners. And uh, they're going to certainly want uh, crypto friendly laws uh, in the books uh, mm. in, the, in the coming years. I mean, it's funny. It's funny that you talk about this because, you know, back in 2017, even we started to see it. But for the years and years, like in 2013, 14, there's always been a discussion about like this generational wealth transfer. And it's in your mind that like you believe it, but then you don't really see it. But if you've been in the space for even four or five years and have conviction, like you start to realize just what that means, like how how much of a difference in your life individually it can make. But then like like uh, it's crazy because as an individual, you you have goals, right, to be able to amass like wealth or or whatnot. If you if you're a business mind or financial mind, you want to be able to attain wealth. But when you have wealth, then it becomes a different a, a different story. And when you have wealth, you don't have to worry about the struggle to pay your bills and struggle for everyday necessities. And now all of a sudden, you're able to start worrying about like, okay, what? How do I fix the world? How do I make the world a better place? How can I like use my energy to build something? And I feel like that's what we're starting to see with a lot of people in the crypto community and i i'm curious if you if you had a similar experience and kind of your journey with, with some of the investments that you've had yeah i would say so i mean this story is probably one that resonates with a lot of people but i'm sure there are folks who are in their you know 20s 30s maybe 40s who you know who leaned into crypto over the last few years 
And it's very possible that they might have worked a decade coming out of college, you know, after maybe barely paying their student debt. And the amount of money they were able to, to save in that decade or 20 years even was probably five or 10% of what they were able to make or save with crypto. And, and when that happens, it kind of just jolts you um, and your, your whole reality is, is shaken uh, mm -hmm. because you realize that you were, you were part of a system that um, wasn't really rewarding you. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but true. that said, and as, as disappointing as that might, of a, of a realization as that might be, um, there is a chance now to sort of rewrite, you know, whatever everyone's story is. And again, like instead of taking that wealth and just blowing it on Lamborghinis and, you know, being selfish, I guess, um, you know, you're seeing people who are building and, and doing things that are contributing to society in positive ways. And I appreciate the way you framed it. It's very optimistic. I, um, I, I think that there's a lot of, you know, when you, when you look at some discussions that revolve um, around crypto and in the Bitcoin space in particular, it gets a little dark, right? Like, we're saving all this money because we have to escape the establishment and, you know, everything's going to fall apart. And, and, and I don't, I don't think it needs to be that way. Let's, let's just set a good example and sort of, you know, rewrite certain elements of our world without having to blow everything up and yeah. start from scratch. Yeah. That's always been kind of a struggle. If you if you're kind of crypto native, there's definitely that uh, tension with the establishment and in like this journey of, liberation and and it's just uh it's it's a fascinating thing kind of seeing the evolution from DeFi into now nfts because you're starting to realize like i like i'm sure you felt the same way but when when we were when investing you know four years ago is so different than today because it was such a lonely experience once you you know amass wealth the only thing you can really do is like you're not you don't really feel super involved in the community i mean we were talking about that before the show even if if you want to be like really active it's hard to find a place and, and that's completely changing now and so i'd love for you to kind of talk about the power of like web 3.0 in allowing each individual person and the hundreds of people in this room right now to be able to figure out and harness their potential and build from the ground up to to build a better tomorrow and for yourself but then for the world i mean just talk about maybe how web 3.0 really changed the game uh when it comes to nfts and all of the projects that are coming out now where it's all about community yeah, well, I, I can start at a high level, and and maybe this this will help you know people who are kind of looking for what their next step is. Um, there's this famous Venn diagram. It has three circles in it, and each circle basically says, "What are you good at? What will people pay you to do? And what do you like to do?" And the middle of that is 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 your perfect uh, job, or if you you can replace the word job with you know how you want to spend your time and and contribute. So, I think that's an important exercise for people to run because I think most of us. Um, usually do two of those things, right? You you find a job, maybe you're good at it, but you don't really like it. Or you like something like doing art, for example, but no one's going to pay you for it. Um, so it's difficult to find that 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 perfect intersection. But I think that what, what Web3 has done is uh, enabled people to find, uh, to find that much more quickly and efficiently. And there's a surplus now of, of uh, opportunities precisely because of what we talked about with like this borderless system that is being created. Um, you know, if there's no one in your, in your state or your city who is working on a project that you're interested in, maybe there's somebody in, in a country that in a different country that is, mm -hmm. and with Discord and Twitter and, uh, you know, social platforms, uh, in general, um, you're able to find them more easily. Now, 
that's been the case for for 20 years, right? Like there's always been, you know, email and ways to connect with with individuals across the world. What's been harder though is the financial model that actually makes that a job. And so that that that's what Web3 has brought to the equation is it has created it has actually created jobs and demand um, that hasn't existed before. Um, and it's shifted a lot of the the sort of uh, supply and demand of things that people pay for away from the physical world uh, and onto the digital world. And the simplest example of that is just the world of gaming. Um, you know, as, as silly as it might seem to a lot of people, um, you can actually do work in a game, in a video game. You can make real money. Yeah. Um, this has kind of been the case in, in games for the last few years, but it's been kind of difficult um, with World of Warcraft and other places. You know, you can sell your skins and do stuff like that. But Web3 has really enabled something like that to exist. So um, we're shifting basically how people are spending their time and the services that they're providing um, to be fully online. And this is something people are willing to pay for. Um, and I think that it's just, it's much easier. Honestly, if you're a curious person, it's very easy for you to find a way to monetize in a way that doesn't require you to be a developer today. Um, yes. and, and I think the first step is just jumping into, you know, communities, asking questions, and uh, you'll soon find that there's way too much for you to even, <laughs> for you'll, you'll be overwhelmed with the opportunities that lay ahead of you. It, it, I'm so glad you mentioned that because you're right. Like that was one of the hardest things, like feeling like this was going to take off or how quickly it could happen when it was just a currency or, you know, some of these altcoins that were around is like, sure, they had a community, but the communities really were based around trading and personal wealth. And now it's just, it feels so different. It's like we've harnessed uh, a whole new potential, but the layer that has been developed of all of the, like even dApps, you know, so much easier to go on like when I a year and a half ago I wasn't using Uniswap and now I use it almost every day and people you know trading on their phone to me I'm like I never trade on my phone but now people like they got into it and that's how they learned and it's just like so easy for them and it's, it's oh you know what I think your uh, your microphone might have cut out or maybe it's me oh can you hear me now yep now I can hear you okay sorry about that I I was just you're kinda... taking on your phone yeah, I was just going kind of down this pipeline of like how the world, uh, when when you start talking about how this space has evolved, you're, you're really right about how, you know, you're going to have play to earn games, you're going to be able to, you know, photographers and artists are finding their niche and trying to build communities. And you, you just have so much potential to be able to find a trajectory of where you can fit in. And so how important is it for like this, this cultural movement that's happening right now with art and entertainment to kind of intersect with the space to to kind of push that narrative forward even more with some of these big athletes and celebrities starting to buy bored apes and things like that yeah i mean i think you're just continuing to see um the destruction of gatekeeping yeah. um and, and and people who have talent and creativity don't have to work through somebody else that to make uh to make something and to sell it and so I think back to even before all this stuff uh, with Web3 and NFTs, like look at a platform like Kickstarter and, and one genre in particular that I think is so fascinating is uh, is board games or tabletop games. Um, you know, back in the day, if you if you had an idea to make a game, you had to go to a publisher like Milton Bradley or whoever and pitch your game. And, you know, that was required because printing a game and, you know, prototyping something and then shipping it out and getting into stores that all took a, a large capital investment. And then, you know, what 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 happens is most of the people, they get rejected in the first place. And those who don't get rejected, 
um, a bunch of suits will tell them, well, here's why your game isn't going to work and here's how you could change it. And then basically it's not your game anymore. So what Kickstarter did was it, it said, okay, you can just find a thousand people who think your game idea is cool and they'll back it. And then you can go make it and sell it and you're done. And if you want to make it go bigger than that, you've already proven yeah. that you know how to make a good game. And so that was kind of a glimpse into what we're seeing today now, which is that if you have a great concept for, for music, for video, for art, for writing, whatever it might be, um, you can put it out there. And if people think it's cool um, and you can you know, make it feel like a scarce resource, um, they will pay for it. And, and I think that's wonderful. You don't have to necessarily work through a middleman. And, and I don't want to say that all middlemen are, are you know, useless. Like there's, there's certainly value in, in folks like, you know, who are gallerists or who have distribution um, or have maybe knowledge that they can share with you or financial backing, but it's not a requirement anymore. That's, that's the fundamental change is that if you want to go off on your own, no one's going to stop you and you will be judged based on, you know, the merit of your, of your work and your thinking and not, you know, the gatekeepers who are basically deciding if you're worthy or not. I, when you were talking about that, it just made me start thinking about, you know, um, one, like party bids, like people working together now, which is a newer innovation in, in the NFT world where people can group bid to buy something more expensive because they want access to it. But even in, in more of a sense of like DAOs and decentralized autonomous organizations working together to kind of push forward a narrative or whatever they want to fund or be able to accomplish and working together to do that. And I know you're a big fan of DAOs, so I'd love for you to kind of expand on how DAOs help with kind of that what you were just chatting about okay so not to get too i guess philosophical i think DAOs are basically communism that actually works so <laughs> when you think when you think about history the reason communism never worked was because in theory it was an interesting idea but there was always like a central authority who would dictate what mm. people had to do yeah. and because humans are inherently you know greedy and whatever they want to look out for themselves and protect their own kind everything fell apart and with with DAOs and sort of working, you know, as as a as a group, um, there is no central authority. It's decentralized, and so people are are incentivized to basically work together because they will all equally benefit from it. And if they're not equally benefiting from it, then those people will leave and, and go and do something else. Yeah. So that's that's the way I think about it. I don't really like the idea of communism, but I would like to think that if it were possible for it to work, what we're seeing now with DAOs is exactly what it would look like. Yeah, and in. in is there are there any you know one thing that's uh, very interesting to me because DAOs are have been a thing that kind of are in the very early stages even though we've seen you know with some of the even like with the rare token Uniswap token these governance tokens in DeFi uh, it it still seems like we're so early because the the protocol and the 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 DApps and the user interfaces aren't really there yet uh, for for people to act you know, actively really engaged. A few have done um, done some work to it, but it just seems like we're so early on too for seeing the potential of it because there's still so much development around kind of the back end and the user interface that still needs to, to progress. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we're kind of going full circle with, with the web. You know, web, web 1.0, you, you saw things like AOL which kind of made it easy for people to access the internet in this, you know, single dashboard. Um, and you didn't really necessarily have to know how to use like a browser and, you know, connect to a specific um, URL and, and do all those things. And eventually people figured it out and that made the web a lot more decentralized. 
Um, then it started to centralize again with platforms like Facebook and Twitter and 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 places that would people would go, you know, regularly like Yahoo.com. Yeah. Um, but but there's problems with that too, right? Because then then one platform might get too much power and too much influence. And so now I think we're 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 swinging back the other way in this kind of you know pendulum that we're seeing of the web, which is decentralization. And the problem is every time you decentralize, um, you have uh, there's a there's a steeper learning curve for the average person to figure out how to use every single different platform. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the wave we're going through for the next you know two or three years. But mm -hmm. there will be clean layers and more accessible options for people. You know, I think about MetaMask as an example. Um, right now, I think the average internet user will be a little confused uh, with installing that, you know, creating a seed phrase, um, you know, and, and, and leveraging that tool. But I imagine as they grow, they will become more like the iPhone of, of web wallets and make it super clean and easy yeah. for the average user. So that's certainly beneficial to people who get in now who take the time to learn it because I think you'll get in on the early wave of, of Web3. I couldn't agree more. And it's also, I mean, there is there some balance as well? Because I think as um, like the owner or like the creator of a decentralized app, you're also cautious because you, we've seen, especially in uh, 2017 and 18, where um, you saw kind of the power or the decentralization too soon when you like let the community go and then it goes in a direction that it wasn't intended to and the the founders are almost at a loss because they can't they don't have power to grasp it again so so how much does that come into play with kind of like the slow release to make sure that these systems are really in place and you have the right community to push the narrative forward because i think that's another thing that will create you know this is going to be a slow evolution because you really want to make sure you have the right community in place before you completely let go of control. If you have like this, you know, if you're, if you're the creator and have this, um, this idea that you want to give to the world, but you don't want it to kind of go the wrong way either. Yeah. I think it's kind of like, um, if you think about a company and setting culture and tone for the company that then trickles down to employees and everybody else across the organization. Um, I think the same thing goes for a decentralized application or, or group, you know, it might start as 10 or a hundred kind of core community members. And I think that those, those folks are the most important because they're the ones who are going to recruit the next wave and, and set an example for who's going to come in. And mm -hmm. if they do that, well, if there is an anomaly who, who comes in later, uh, it doesn't really fit, uh, or doesn't contribute, you know, they're, they're not going to last long, but there is still the risk, um, that, you know, a group of certain nefarious actors who, want to make money or, you know, extract value from a community can come in and attack it. And I think that as that continues to, to happen, unfortunately, communities are going to have to think through all those scenarios and how to defend against it. Yeah. And we saw and that. That's, in, that's just, we saw that in uh, kind of the altcoin market too. I think that there's been several projects that kind of felt like, felt like they had this goal and then it just ran because of the community or because, because when you put value in a community, it, it can, it's great when it's going up, but we talk about an NFT world too. Like if it turns on you, it can be a really destructive thing as well. It can. And, and I think that ultimately um, this is not something that we're going to be able to rely on um, political leaders or governmental leaders to help us with. It's too messy and it's too complicated. It's too hard to regulate. So I think that it's going to force uh, people to be a lot more diligent 
about how they participate in the community and how they defend against um, you know potential bad actors. Um, but that said, I, I I will say that just you know the last four to eight years of social media, you see a lot of uh, a lot of that going on too, right? In the form of just communication and you know fake information, and 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 people are starting to, I guess, have a healthy level of skepticism about mm-hmm. you know navigating the web when it comes to information, and I think that now needs to translate to their financial transactions, their business dealings, and things that are a little bit. Uh, more substantial in terms of impacting them. You know, I I can't wait to tell my wife that I was uh, spent an hour um, with Elon Musk on the uh, on um, Spaces today. I can't wait. She's going to be blown away. Actually, when I showed her the picture, I just showed her your profile picture. She thought I really was talking to Elon Musk today. She got really pumped up. <laughs> and I was so I was, I was sad to let her down. I was like, no, this isn't actually Elon Musk. And then she's like, oh, I don't care then. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but, sorry, sorry to disappoint your wife. Yeah, but this has been such. A, I mean, I feel like I could just get a, a beer and talk to you for another hour. Um, but I want to make sure to bring up some people in the community. So if you have a question, we're going to start turning it over to Community Corner here in just a minute. Uh, It'll help if you also post your question on that second link that I pinned so I can kind of read through them and pull some people up. Um, But I did want to ask uh, one or two more questions before we turn over to that. And one of them is just, um, there's a lot of new people we talked about at the beginning of the show. There's a lot of people that this may be, they haven't even bought an NFT. They're just kind of trying to learn about this space. Um, I, I would be curious for someone that's just joining kind of this evolution uh, of the world, what your advice to them would be to kind of get get a grasp and get started? Yeah, it's um, it's a little bit of a, of a steep learning curve if you're just getting started. I have to admit, and I think the biggest uh, you know help for me was was space were spaces like this. I think especially in the early days of, of the NFT community, um, there were a lot of spaces dedicated to onboarding people who had never touched you know, a web wallet or anything like that. So um, the good news is, is in the last six months, there's been an enormous amount of content on YouTube that's been produced that just walks you through, um, you know, how to navigate the world of NFTs. And so the biggest problem now is just filtering through that and finding the best content, but there's no shortage of information. So that's helpful. And honestly, I think people should just not be afraid to, to jump in and, and start swimming, right? Like create a wallet, Call, you know, you just consider it like a burner wallet, throw a hundred bucks in there and just mess around and, and, and see what happens. You're not going to break your computer or, or do anything that harms you. Um, just just try it out. But yeah, uh, again, there's, you know, curiosity will 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 help you along the way. Um, and there's plenty of resources available. I think if people are you know willing to put in the time to, to learn about it. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's uh, when we were learning in four or five years ago, it did feel a lot like the, the education and learning was the best thing that you can do. Uh, you learn, you make mistakes, you you get into the wrong things, you learn from it and you keep growing. And uh, and I think that's what I always tell people is like, if you're just getting started, like interact with the community and get started because it's actually a lot easier now and it can be more fun when you can just sit and have the spaces in the back background while you're working. You don't even have to lay at night for two hours reading through white papers and discords to try and figure out where the hell uh, to go next. And so it, I love that. I mean, I think the, the, the secret is just like, 
just just start just to get started like stop waiting and you know it, it can start with a few dollars and you start putting to the side and eventually you know you start learning more about the investments you're making and you just keep learning um so i love that all right we'll, let's go ahead and we're going to start moving on um to community corner we've got a few people that um, are requesting to come up if you have a question please hit that request button and we're going to start taking your questions now Get your catnip and questions ready. It's time for you to take the stage for another segment of Community Corner. And the first person I brought up is King Aladdin. I saw that you uh, are a follower and that I don't think I've ever brought you on stage, so I wanted to get you up here. Thanks for listening to the show. Hey, mate. How's it going? How's it going? How's everyone doing? Thank you for bringing me on here. Uh, It's a pleasure to really uh, just see how um, the community is being built in many, many uh, different accounts just within Twitter. I actually just j- jumped on Twitter spaces just yesterday. Uh, other communities like Farouk in the space uh, that are building, uh, <laughs> breaking records on Twitter spaces actually insane. Yeah, it's, it's, and uh... how entertaining just within the whole space is, is going towards. And I really want to thank you, uh, Crazy About Crypto Show for uh really hosting this whole uh, thing together yeah thanks really for being that. here and getting on spaces it's powerful to be learning with us no no 100 percent. and uh, i really believe that we're very very um uh we're very new to this space just within nft and anything that you build just within this space right now is uh is going viral anything right and and if you do it right with the right team and 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 uh you know with the right community it's it's uh it's really powerful and uh most importantly just social media right building uh, an nft based social media or like a decentralized social media mm-hmm. i don't think there's something like that out there uh can, can i pitch in my uh my, my project that i've been working on for the past uh, that's, uh, months that's not what this show is really about but if you have another okay. question about for board elon sure. you can definitely absolutely absolutely so so uh um how, how long are you looking to really bring this? Uh, h- how far are you looking to actually just build this whole community? And how how far are you trying to take this onwards, this uh, Twitter spaces? Oh, well, that... I guess I can go ahead. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. I, mean, I definitely, I definitely um, was interested in this idea of live audio um, when Clubhouse was surging. Um, once Twitter replicated the technology. Um, you know, it made sense that that would, that would take over just because they have the network effect of people who are already followed by large numbers of individuals. It's, it's cool that like this idea of live media is, um, is, is resurfacing, right? So you can think back to like live radio shows, live talk shows, um, that kind of started to go away with things like on demand streaming, you know, video, um, streaming audio, um, you know, basically you can watch or, or listen it to anything at any time. And so I think everybody kind of wrote off this, this concept of like live, live programming, um, but it came back. And the cool thing is that it not only came back, but it became very interactive, right? Where people are actually not just watching one thing together or listening to one thing together, they're actually interacting with each other. And I think that's been a really powerful um, tool that has really fueled a lot of the community that you know has grown around NFTs and crypto in general. So. I, I think this is here to stay. I don't I don't think spaces is, is an experiment. I think it's a core feature of Twitter now. 
Yeah, and and to just add on to that, because um, when I first started this show, once uh, Twitter Spaces first launched, I mean, that's really what intrigued me is like, now we have like this uh, media platform where we can actually interact to another level beyond just text. And uh, like you said, almost be able to feel like I try to produce this in almost like a way of a live show or like a radio show uh, on purpose, because I think that's where things are going to be heading in the future. I mean, we're going to be able to have these shows in the metaverse where the people powering it is the community and in like Web 3.0 harnessing the community as opposed to just putting something in your face and then giving you a bunch of advertisements and things like that. And and so I, I completely agree with you. And I think that we're just getting started, right? I mean, Twitter Spaces has only been a thing for f- four months, I think, four or five months. And so, I mean, we're just at the, the beginning of this journey of seeing like these new media outlets that are going to form and, and I know there's several people in in the spaces world already thinking about how to harness those communities to kind of um you know continue the journey together and feel like you're a part of it not that you're just in the audience but that you can come up or that you can own a part of the show and, and I think that's the next kind of evolution of where we head with that um that was a good question motivational uh Eric I saw that you had a question. I wanted to bring you up. I think you're a first-time person on stage, too. So welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Definitely not first time, but, but I will say that uh, first time in Twitter spaces in a minute that I've seen people actually talk about this being more than temporary. And I think that um, realistically people do need to look at the track record and history of original programming from the start of YouTube start of musically before it turned into TikTok. Even Justin.tv is another perfect example. And uh, Twitter Spaces is no different once they get their act together in terms of the whole thing crashing. <laughs> but True. outside of that, there's an immense upside and valuable pocket right now that everybody yeah, I, should pay attention to. I know? will say, like, um, you know, obviously getting rugged on these spaces is frustrating, but um, I have been impressed at how fast Twitter has moved in the last six months in terms of upgrades and changes to the service. Um, you know, Spaces was a good example of that L- last week, you know, unveiling uh, Lightning Network payments via via Bitcoin. These these are things that, you know, you're seeing more changes in, in the last six months on Twitter than you than you did in the last, you know, basically 10 years of its existence. Um, and yeah, it's it's going to cause things to break and whatnot. But I like that they're taking risks. You know, they're a publicly traded company that has to <laughs> deliver uh, revenue goals and, and profits, and they're doing stuff that isn't necessarily all going to drive towards that, um, in the hopes that they can become, you know, one of the most prominent, uh, you know, gathering spaces in what people call the metaverse. Even though I hate that term, so you know, if they don't want to get basically taken over or beat by Web three social media companies. Um, they need to become one, and I think they're they're honestly trying their best within the within the uh, constraints that they have. So, I give them kudos. They've got first mover advantage, you know. If you think about,
I think uh, I think he had cut out there for just a second, but I definitely agree with the first mover advantage. I mean, there's so much to be said about that when you think of, you know, even like MetaMask, a Uniswap, like these, even Binance early, in the early days becoming like an exchange. It's like when you when you start trying to capitalize on the market early on in, in NFTs, we are so early uh, that there's there's a lot of power in kind of not just waiting, but just jumping in and learning. Um, all right, I've got a couple questions on this feed, and, and they haven't requested to come up, but uh, I really think some of these questions are good. So we're gonna, I'm gonna ask a couple of these. One of them is um, just about countries that ban crypto, and what, how, how do people handle? How do you, how, how do we handle that as like in this movement when we hear about bans um, of of crypto and in when countries are trying to lock down, I mean, it's kind of that narrative that we were talking about earlier that, you know, that tension um, when a country, instead of, you know, accepting the innovation and, and harnessing it, kind of turns its back on it. Um, do you do you have any opinions about kind of where that goes long term? Do you think people, in my opinion, I feel like there's a lot of bans, but the the technology is so decentralized now that that can only go so far in terms of uh what you know preventing what people can do yeah i i think that's spot on um there are only sort of so many choke points that um there can be for for stopping crypto from from flourishing one is making it illegal the other is cutting off the actual uh internet or access to the internet um you know the first one it's a, little, it's a little tough, you know, to fight against that other than moving away, which is not a, a realistic uh, option for a lot of people. The other is is blocking off uh, access to the web, uh, which increasingly is becoming harder because, um, you know, uh, it, you've got satellites going up into space that are offering internet signals. You've got, um, you know, wireless networks that are increasingly able to uh, go further and further and create mesh networks. And you have VPNs that basically let you show that you're located in a different place. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, we're, we're seeing bans in certain countries and I won't name any in particular, but there's a really big one that's been pretty <laughs> heavily covered yeah. uh, in the last week. And I can just say from personal experience, I communicate with hundreds of people each week from that country who have been able very easily to get around any problems. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's slowing down. It seems, so. <laughs> it seems like it, it, it hurts more people that are trying to onboard now than it does people that have already found the space, too. I mean, the ones that are kind of already in the system, like you can't take someone out once you, especially if you're in decentralized wallets. But it, it, it can really cause a headache for someone that's wanting to join or get involved. Um, I guess that's kind of where, but it, in that way, there's still outlets where you can work to earn, you know, like you said, like there's going to be ways that you can earn in these economies that potentially someone could find a way to still participate and start their journey. Uh, and I think that we'll just see more of that as time goes by too. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair pushback. And uh, the only example I can point to in recent times, at least in our country, is is prohibition. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if something is illegal, but enough people want it, um, it's not going to be illegal forever. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and you see it with marijuana too now. I mean, it's another, yeah, exactly. That's a perfect example as well. So I think that you can apply that logic to, to money, um, as well. And it's, you know, it's not going to be. Yeah. Uh, 5403 board ape yacht club. It's good to have an ape on stage. Go ahead. 
Hey, I was just going to say, and I don't want to get specific to name the country that can never be named, but. (laughs) (laughs) Voldemort. Yeah, it's Voldemort. From them, they they usually uh, they're not they're not looking for uh, the best. They're going to do what their goals are, their hundred year goals and things, it seems like. Yeah, so I, you know, I guess, you know, without getting, I guess, overly political, I, I think that the reality is, is people have more control, um, you know, of, of their personal assets than they've ever had before. And uh, technology continues to move much faster than the people who are able to control that technology. And uh, I hope that, that that leads to the betterment of, of society. But like I said, it's just going to be messy along the way. Yeah, and and I can't agree more when you're talking about like when when the people, if enough people want something, like at, at the end of the day, governments and jurisdictions are just uh like they they are structures created by people, and so if we decide like the technology, we want to embrace this technology to better our future, like like you said, there could be there could be um, road bumps along the way, but it's just a matter of time before you know the innovation is is not stoppable anymore and and at that point you start seeing and you're already starting to see uh a lot more uh, governments you start seeing how reactionary they become because they they don't understand it they they're they're working in old frameworks of thinking and so they're trying to understand what's happening and they uh th- but at the time they're going to really comprehend it it's almost too late yeah, I mean, uh, bold prediction. I think the next president of the United States is going to be pro crypto within I, yeah. w- within that short amount of time. I think that will be on their agenda. Yeah, I, I don't doubt it, especially with how we're seeing adoption continue to grow. I mean, we've got three years. I mean, that's a that that's a, quite a long time in crypto world too. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. So, uh, all right, I wanted to ask one more question uh, on the post. This is from. Shoria, I believe. Uh, he, he asked, what are your thoughts, because you're big into video games, what are your thoughts on Axie Infinity? It, it's done a really good job, I think, of showing uh, the value of, of that economy, right, of the blockchain gaming economy. Um, it brought a lot of people into the space. I think it showed that there is a way for players to have a stake um, in a video game, right? The traditional video game space is basically you buy the game, you play it, the publisher benefits, you don't really share in that ownership. And um, I think of, of all the games that have attempted to sort of be on chain, Axie is the first to break through. Um, and I think they're gonna, they, they've set the, an example and really started a fire uh, you know, in, in the world of, of the gaming development community. And you're gonna see hundreds, if not thousands of games like it uh, over the next few years. Uh, so I'm I'm personally really excited about that space and looking to invest in it more. I, I love how, you know, some of these, it's like they're so early on and there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of improvements that, that are needed. And it, it reminds me of the conversation we we're just having about like first to market, but it's just, it seems like it's just a matter of time before. And I know, I think that, you know, big gaming industries are starting to pay closer attention and it's just a matter of time before this gets incorporated you know to the average gamer that's just playing xbox on and connecting to the internet um when we're seeing you know assets that you actually own in games uh, of you know big time games that aren't just like crypto native 
Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, if you give players ownership in a game, they become a really powerful marketing channel. They're basically playing a game they like and they're pumping their own bags. Yeah, so yeah right. That, so then, you know, the game, the game doesn't even have to be that good. Uh, and it can flourish, but in the future, you will have games that are very good, and they're also going to have the uh, the power of the player base that is owning the profits. I, I think that uh, video game companies will be, or at least traditional ones, will be slower to move into that world just because they've made so much money in the last two years, especially with lockdowns and people being inside and playing lots of games. But um, there will be a turning point probably in the next two or three years where they do start exploring this space and giving players the ability to own assets and sell them amongst themselves. Um, and that will grow the pie uh, of profits overall, in my opinion. And so I think once that transition starts to happen, all the large uh, AAA publishers are gonna get on board. But um, I think they're they're honestly waiting for there to be enough of a player base that understands crypto um, to, to make it worth their time and investment. Yeah, that's understandable. And it is like a, like the evolution. I mean, I love, I don't remember who I was talking to that said, this isn't a revolution. It's an evolution. And I really couldn't agree more. It, it's like, we're evolving as a species in terms of, you know, into the digital age and, um, where, you know, these, these profiles and these avatars become a part of our identities even. And it's so interesting that, we're here just getting started. You know, this is so early. People say it, we're, we're early, but we're so early. And uh, I just, when I sit back and think, you know, watching the movie like Ready Player One a few years ago, nowhere in the, my wildest imagination would I be like, that would be something in my lifetime that we could get close to. But the, the more that, you know, I see the evolution of the technology, it's like we're getting closer and closer every day to a world like that. Well, yeah, and if you if you believe uh, simulation theory, then our existence is already that anyway, and we just don't know it. <laughs> so maybe we're just rebuilding a simulation inside of a simulation. Yeah, yeah, and, and and when you think of like some of these decentralized worlds, like it's so fascinating. People are like, you're you're paying this much money for like this piece of land in a cyber world, and it's like, yeah, and imagine you know, two hundred years ago when people were flocking to the West just to just to like claim a piece of land. Like it's a, it's like the same theory, and it's just it hasn't we haven't seen how it's developed yet, and so it's just it's crazy to think of uh, the things that are going to happen just even in our lifetime, and how our kids are going to grow up in a different world than we did. Yeah, it, it's really a shift, I think, of valuing uh, physical things and and placing that in in digital things. And um, you know, if you if you told somebody. 30 years ago that it would cost a million dollars to buy a tiny house in San Francisco, they think you're insane, but that's, that's normal, right? That's, that's a discount. Yeah, so, yeah. um, <laughs> we've placed a lot of value in things like that or in luxury goods that don't actually cost that much to produce. Um, and that's okay. There's a market for that. It's just the difference is now that we're shifting towards putting that kind of valuation on things that are made out of bits and bytes and not, uh, you know, atoms. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, we are at the beginning of, of the evolution of, of mankind and humanity. And I mean, it's, uh, one thing that I've, I'm curious because before we go, I, people, um, it, like, is there a place where even human existence is able to, we're able to survive longer because as long as our brains can function, uh, we're able to kind of live in like this, this cyber like identity in this world without really even having to, you know, operate outside of it um it's almost like that i forget what the philosophy the theory is called where it's like almost like you live out of your body 
Yeah, I, I, mean, I think maybe the singularity is what you're calling it or what you're referring to. And yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if we'll see that in our lifetime, but I, I think it's inevitable that people will have a choice to die at some point. And so, you know, you'll live as long as you want to live. And then when you're done, you can just peace out. Yeah. <laughs> Game over. I'm done. I don't need any yep. more. I don't need any more extra lives. This is this. Is I, sold, I sold enough NFTs. I'm done. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know, it's it's funny how these conversations can always just turn in different directions. But this has been such a fun one, especially because you've been in the space for a while and you kind of see the direction of, of where we've been and where we're going. So I really appreciate you taking time. I know uh, personally I learned some from this talk and I, I know that means that uh, people in the audience have definitely learned a lot too. So thanks for taking time to be here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation, and uh, I'll I'll be tuning in to future episodes. So thanks no, so much. I also really appreciate you as a listener. You came in. Um, that was actually how we first got in touch, and I can't tell you how much it meant just seeing you in the audience and stumbling into the show. I uh, really appreciate you. If you don't follow Board Elon, you need to do that. I don't know why you wouldn't. He's. Uh, I think he he probably has almost every crypto person following him already, but I, I, uh, he's just such a a smart guy. His account can be funny at times, but he's doing things that are really powerful and you need to kind of watch, uh, and learn from him because he's a really, he's a great mind in the space. Um, and if you missed any part of the show, I'm going to get to uploading it here in just a minute, but then you can, um, you can listen to this live if you missed any part of it on the crazy about crypto show, Dot com. So um, is, thank you for finding us and I hope that you you had enjoyed it, the talk. And if you missed any part of it, you can go and listen to it on the podcast. Um, this has been another episode of the Crazy About Crypto Show. This has been another production of Guttercat Studios. All conversations with Crazy Carl are for educational purposes only. You should never take financial advice from a cat or anybody really, especially financial advisors. Take control of your own financial future and do your own research always. That's all for now. Until next time, we'll see you in the metaverse.